0: Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on Solitaire Board Games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 233.
1: Let the fires burn, burn, bite. Right. That wasn't the right tune, but it's okay.
0: <laughs> I have I have no idea what you just sang, Julius.
1: I, I was attempting to sing a song from the Maccabees because the holiday of Hanukkah is right around the corner. Uh, In Mm. fact, it's going to be starting on Sunday. So, very soon after this uh, episode drops. So, I I was attempting to reference that because, you know, it's all about fire and the holiday of lights. And uh, this episode is all about fire. So,
0: yeah. Ah, okay. Very cool. I've never heard of the group, the Maccabees, but I like the name. The, uh, though, this episode, I mean, it's probably fine, but this is episode 233, which is actually airing a week and a half after we record it.
1: Eh, Good enough. Fortunately, Hanukkah is a full eight days long, so it'll be okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it'll be fine. I mean, it's going to be fine, like it or not. So, hi, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. (laughs) everyone. Hopefully the
1: explanation at least was uh, somewhat (laughs) enlightening, even
0: if the music was not. (laughs) (laughs) And and we knew we were rambling on the air. That's okay. That was deliberate. Or something like that. Today, we are talking about a game about Fire. Uh, specifically The Fire of Adelon from Magic Meeple Games and designed by Michael Lipton. Which does
1: have a fire.
0: Yes, it does. It has a big fire, and you're trying to find the fire in this game. Gotta light the fire, baby. This is actually a little bit of an older game. I think it came out 2015 or so, maybe 2016.
1: Yeah, about five years ago, four years ago.
0: Yeah. It was a game I backed on Kickstarter because it sounded really neat. And I play it every once in a while and pull it on and enjoy it. So I thought, you know, it's about time I talk about it. Hmm. So that, that's
1: why we're here. And I was seriously considering backing up, but didn't pull the trigger. Too much stuff on Kickstarter.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that'll happen. So, so the summary of this game. So this is a, it's a cooperative game. You're, it's um, I, there's a term I throw about often. It's very pandemic like. Yes. <laughs> Pretty much any game, if it has a card that you draw at the end of the turn, is Pandemic-like from my point of view. Yeah, I, I think that
1: <laughs> the, the the sort of gameplay flow of very many co-ops is the good guys take actions, the bad guy gets a turn. Good guys take action, bad guys gets a turn. That's the, the Pandemic-flow style that many co-ops have.
0: Mm, yep, and I do think Pandemic might have been the first one to do that probably i don't know yeah if not the first one definitely one of the first definitely the most the first really notable one to do that so it is pandemic like um it is a fantasy setting you're in a dungeon trying to rescue the fire of adalon to stop the um the cultists of the dark sorcerer vortex from getting the fire of adalon and freeing him from his long imprisonment in the void <laughs> that that is what the game is about the the back of the box describes it as a, a heroic, easy-to-learn, cooperative, 16-bit dungeon exploration adventure, procedurally, procedurally generated as you play, never the same game twice. Um, and there's more flavor text and stuff, but all that stuff is generally pretty true, I think. I might disagree a little bit with the uh, procedurally generated, but we'll get to that. Soon. So yeah, so that's that's basically the summary of the game. Let's talk about the rules, Judas. Go for it. All right, so this this game has a nice little rulebook. Um, they're relatively easy to learn and pl- follow along with. I like the... and Maybe we're talking about when we get to components, but I like the design of the rulebook and stuff. Uh, I do find... I don't play the game often. I play it out every couple years, years. It takes me a little while to relearn it. The rules are a little bit dense and in terms of space and all that and kind of small. But it's a simple game, so it's not hard to learn.
1: What it I, does... Mm-hmm. I do think that this is the sort of game that would have helped from being able to simplify its rule set. You would expect that a game that's essentially on the level of like a forbidden desert or a forbidden island to have slightly less, I suppose, dense feeling rules for it. But even for like the cultists' turn, when the bad guys take a turn, like there's a lot of turns, the game overbolds stuff. And the bolds sort of cut down on the readability of it, because when there's a whole bunch of bolds, it's it it honestly makes it harder to follow. Like why why bold everything? It makes it, it 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 makes it more difficult. It it is not a rule set that
0: I enjoy. Yep, and if you if you bold the text too much, and it sort of lowers the value of the bolding, right? Because and that's literally what right. they do. Yeah, <laughs> <clears throat> there you go. One thing that I did find confusing with the rule book. There's variants and uh, scenarios to use at the end. And the way they're organized, I found it a little tricky to figure out how to use components. Like the last time I played, oh, I want to throw in a couple of these extra components. It took me a little while to figure out where they were in the rule and how to use them. And what they were part of. Not a big deal, though. Um, I mean,
1: it is like we've talked. We've seen so many good rule books. This is not an example of a good rule
0: book. No, it's, it's not a good rule book. But it, it's not a big game. So it's, it ends up not being a big deal. And also, honestly, you don't need most of the stuff in there that's that I, that's a little hard to find. So so that's the rules. Um, I guess we'll get to the gameplay and tell you how the rules work a little later. The theme of the game... Um, I, I think... Oh, my gosh. What, what do you call these games, these uh, video you games bet. that are procedurally generated? Roguelike? Roguelike, yes. Thank you. So I back this game because it's sort of... S- Sounded like a roguelike game based on the description, you know, procedurally generated dungeon. To me, that means roguelike. The game is not really roguelike. I don't feel the dungeon is procedurally generated the way I think of procedurally generated. It's it's more player driven because you decide where you're going and expand it expands that way. But, I mean, the game is a, uh, you're exploring a dungeon. I find the artwork helps a lot with that. I, I do feel like I'm exploring the dungeon kind of. The tiles are kind of weird in that they don't look like a map of the rooms. They sort of look like pictures of a room, like a scene. So as you build the map, it doesn't look like you're walking around in a dungeon so much. But it's also... Excuse me. Dog! Please me. There you go. It's upside down. I wonder... If you drag the bow that's upside down around the room long enough, it flips over naturally. <laughs> Apparently. So, gosh, what was I saying? The I was talking about the rooms and the room art. Just start the point again. Yeah, I know my point was. I lost it. I lost my point. It's pointless. The we're talking about the theme, but so okay. So the theme, really, what the theme is, is a sixteen-bit exploring type of game. The art is very 16-bit. It looks like an old video game. The characters are pixelated. The The tiles feel like maybe an old video game style art. The box looks like an old Super NES box it, in the design of it, and the art on it fits. So I find I find it thematically. It's pretty good, and I enjoy it, and I think it works thematically. This is from a time when a lot of these uh, pixelated vid- board games are coming out. Yeah, I don't see that as much like anymore. Boss Monster,
1: things like that. There's still some out there.
0: Mm Mm-hmm, but not as many. The components, okay, theme and then components. For components, it's a small box, which I really like. I like games that come in a small, compact box without a lot of air and unnecessary space. Mm -hmm. There is, you know, the rule book. There's 12 characters to pick from, so you can have a lot of choices, and they each play a little bit different. There are tiles to make the map with. There are cards. There's a card per map space. Um, there's a bunch of little counters to represent the the tokens of power that you need to pick up. And what else we got? Tokens of power, a few stand up thingies that you put in the different rooms as you find them. The the Fire of Adlon, for example, is one of them. And the three objects that you're looking for to to unlock the Fire of Adlon. Actually, I think the three objects are called the token of power. And then there's also a a scenario card or like a a game card that tells you that you use to keep track of where you're in the game and the difficulty level as you progress. Sort of like in Forbidden Island where you have the water meter, something like Mm -hmm. that, basically. Yeah. And I think that's about it. And there's a couple scenario cards. Did I forget the other character cards? They're also in there. (laughs) Or I'm sorry, the character stand-ups. You get uh, one stand-up per character. One thing I didn't like. Standee. D. Standee, D, thank you. One thing I didn't like is they brought 12 standees for the characters plus the fire of A-line and all the artifacts and all that, but they only brought like a six or so little plastic clips to put them into. Yep. Which is a bit annoying. And they did that for a reason. They wanted to include more, they said, but it, it, was, a little exp- <clears throat> it was a little expensive, and to get the right quantities, they're going to have to start opening bags and hand sorting them to get the right number in each box. In the end, they decide to just, just give just enough to, to play with.
1: Go go buy some on your own. It's too expensive for us for
0: this game. Yep, and that's what I ended up doing, actually. Yep, and that's so, what you should do because it's really
1: bad for your components to have to take yes. on and take off those standees. You should not do it to things, and they should include enough standees for it.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Standees are definitely something that are, are fragile and putting those things... Let
1: you know. me speak about some of my thoughts on the components if if you've had a yes. couple thoughts on there. um the first thing I noticed that like the tokens of power, which are the things that you collect over the course of the game. So those are all shaped tokens and they're nicely shaped, but then the dark relics sort of the main focus of it. The the, there's three dark relics that over the course of the game, Mm -hmm. they're tokens that are square on a dark background. And especially in comparison to the tokens of power, they feel more bland but they should feel central. They should feel important. But they don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because they're bland and they're square. The Fire of Idola, the gold of the game, at least has its own standee. But even in comparison to the more minor bits, like, why why do they? Why? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a little bit of a miss there in terms of the design. I, I think this
1: could have been helped maybe with some meeples or things like that but like the main characters are standees instead of meeples which i suppose choices and decisions on which you prefer for that and this could be some of the things like i'm i'm more spoiled by more recent kickstarters which would do things like (laughs) with meeples with screen printing and things like that or even stickers on meeples but none of that here
0: yeah i think it's hard to to be fair to an older game when when you have an idea of what present games are made like
1: From 5 years later yeah, yeah
0: from, even just 5 years and a lot i think a lot of it is just because as the the market has grown capabilities of publishers or not publishers but the manufacturers has improved but <laughs> plus demands of consumers <laughs> yeah but but you know you are really right those square tokens they could have easily made them uh, cut out shape and it would've been a little bit neater
1: I feel like it would have had more gravitas, yeah. especially since everything else is cut out. Yeah, but having it just be a black square cutout with a token <laughs> on it—like as soon as it's a black square—it feels less important.
0: Yep, yep, you're right. Oh, right. So I think everything else is... just
1: has the art. How easily do you find it easy to distinguish between the different spaces, the different rooms?
0: Um, it's not hard at all. Sometimes it's a as you play the game, your map grows, and then at the end of the turn, uh-huh. you're going to draw a card, and you have to find that room on the board, and the card, the picture on the card matches the room on the board. As the as the map gets really big, it may take you a second or two to figure it out, but usually by then you're also pretty familiar with where everything is. Where stuff is so so. It's not a big deal. Once in a while, like, there's a room you haven't seen too much for whatever reason, or an end of the board you just never went to. Yeah. That may happen, but it it isn't cumbersome.
1: Yeah, I think that was one of my concerns with it because the the tiles are all very colorful tiles with a bunch of art on them and the text on them because they used an older looking font to it, it lacks some level of readability and I was concerned how much in actuality that would that would occur.
0: Mhm. Yeah, I didn't have any problems with it. Well, that's good. Yep. So, gameplay.
1: Tell See, me more, Albert. Okay.
0: So, as I said, this is relatively pandemic-like game, but with some twists that actually make it feel pretty different, which I like. The You're going to start the game on the central board, which is the entrance and the exit to the dungeon. And it is the only tile that's on the board. You're going to shuffle the deck of location cards and place them to the side. You're going to shuffle all the tiles and make a big stack of them. And you're going to pick your characters and the corresponding cards and start taking turns. And basically, each turn, you're, you know... It's a cooperative game-style pandemic, so you're going to take turns as each character. And if you're playing solo, you probably want to play two or three characters because it gives you a little more variability and just tends to make the game more dynamic. Um, Each character gets a number of actions depending on the character. I think generally it's about three or four. I don't remember exactly how many it is offhand. Your actions could be things like move to a location pick up an object or 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 maybe rescue one of the tokens of power thingy um one thing that's interesting each character has three attributes three colors which relate to the three colors of tokens of power um if if you're really good at blue you could pick up a, a blue token for cost of one movement point or action point if you're really bad at blue then it's gonna cost you three And so it could be the one, two, or three actions. So you find that some characters are better some colors than others, and you want to use them to pick up those things as you're playing and moving around. The one thing that I left out that's semi-important here, as you're exploring the dungeon and expanding it, you're going to add a tile. You'll choose where to move to. You'll flip over a tile, and then you'll place it. And you just have to place it so that the exits line up correctly. Each of the tiles is has one of the three colors that's its theme it 's either green, red, or blue. You put one of the little tokens on there of the matching color, and your goal is now to pick that up and find six of each color um, as you explore the dungeon that's basically the point of the game is to to walk around expanding the dungeon as you enter new rooms, pick up those tokens, and collect them um, while you're doing this you're trying to expand the dungeon to find the three locations where the uh the big square tokens that Julius mentioned, are located. There's a blue room, a green room, and a yellow room. When you get to one of those rooms, if you have the six tokens you need, you could trade it in for that object. If you don't, you got to keep exploring until you find your six and then come back. And that's generally what happens. You're exploring, expanding, and collecting your tokens and identifying where the things are. Hopefully, everything is organized in a nice, compact way so that things are easy to get to from one place to another. Generally speaking, they are not. And you're going to be running back and forth a lot in the game. But anyway, I'm sort of skipping around. Your turn is you're going to take your actions, use up all your actions, and then at the end of the turn, you're going to draw a number of cards depending on the current... I don't remember what they call it. Threat level of the game. You're going to draw one, two, or more cards. And the card will have a picture of one of the rooms. If that room is on the board, you place a cultist on that room. If that room... Is not on the board, you discard it, breathe a sigh of relief, and if necessary, draw another card. And, and that's how it works. At the beginning of the game, it's really easy because you're drawing these cards and those rooms just aren't out yet. And, oh, great. Discard it. Nothing happened. That's a relief. As the game progresses and the board expands, the rooms are more and more likely to be already there. And so you're adding cultists. Um, One of the things you could do as an action is remove all cultists from locations. So that's good. The cultures are bad because if you get too many of them in a room, that room disappears. It gets sucked into the void. They, they cast their spell in that room. Um, and you basically just take that room off the board and discard it along with its card. I believe you could have two, and if I remember right, it's the third one that causes that to happen. So if there's one or two, you better get over there and do that spell. Because once the once room is out and that card is out, you know it's going to happen again because the next time you draw that card going through the deck, it's gonna, that room is gonna come back in. So, there's your basic gameplay it's explore and expand the dungeon, collect power stones, kill or kick out the cultists, whatever they want to call it, and get them off the board so that they don't make the rooms disappear. Uh, and keep doing this until you find your three objects, and then go to the Fire of Adelon and then get out as quick as you can. It's a, it's a relatively simple game, there's things that make it really neat. For one, there is twelve different heroes to pick from. They're all played a little bit differently. They each have their own strength in, in what color they work with.
1: And so kind of similar pandemic, which has different similar, people yes. you use. Okay. Yes. And they all have different I'm powers. waiting for the new stuff.
0: Okay, it's not new, but it makes it fun. The um one of the characters, for example, has a robot. So she gets in the robot off to do things, which is nice. And that's kinda of cool. And she stays where she's at and the robot goes off and does stuff. Um one of the other differences... Okay, not a difference here, actually. One of the other things that is neat is that there's different difficulty levels. There's four difficulty cards, and they're double-sided. So you can make the game really easy or nightmare hard. I don't think I've ever advanced beyond the little, the really easy one. And it's always a close game at the very end. Um, a tense closed game. So, so between the 12 heroes and the eight difficulty cards... Oh, and four different scenarios, there's a ton of variability in the game, which is cool. There's lots of different ways to play. Um... What makes it different, what feels different is the way you're removing the tiles when the rooms match. Because at first, like I said, you're drawing cards and there's nothing happening and you're discarding going on and the, it's going really quickly. As the game progresses, you're starting to place cultists out there more and more often and you need to get rid of them or you're going to lose that room. If you lose the room, I mean, if there's a, one of those tokens that you still need to collect to get your your three objects of power, Um, you just lost that token, and that's a shame because there's only so many rooms. There's, I think, uh, seven rooms in each color, and you need six tokens of each color, so you can only afford to lose one. The, I mean, that will happen. But if the room disappears, now there's a space that maybe, you know, your map is disconnected, and now you've got to build another path to connect those two sections. So potentially your room is splitting up, or your map is splitting up. And that, that adds an interesting tension. The other thing that I find really interesting, as the game progresses, because you're just dis- if you destroy a room, you're discarding that card and the tile, your deck is getting smaller, which means the rooms that are still there are going to show up more quickly. And so at first the game is nice and slow, and then as the game progresses, just the... the the tension progresses as your map gets smaller. It starts it starts with one space and it's really tiny and you're expanding, everything's great, and then at some point it turns and it starts to get smaller and smaller again and the game is getting tenser and quicker and you're just trying to make to the end and survive. I do feel if that feels very different from Pandemic. And I think that, I think that's what's different about it. You don't look I, convinced.
1: But, <laughs> I mean, no I'm not because Pandemic has sort of spawned the lighter versions, which are Forbidden Island and Forbidden Desert. And in Forbidden Island, also, you have rooms that sink and disappear and then you don't have them anymore. Which is almost Uh, exactly what you're saying here. Like, when they sink in Forbidden Island, the deck gets smaller, and you don't have those islands anymore, and rooms can get cut off, and paths that you once had are not there anymore. And I mean, I, I... I hesitate to say that it does anything that Forbidden Island doesn't do. I mean, maybe it doesn't. You no, know, even like Forbidden Island has this, like, it doesn't have the cultists that you have to go fight. Instead, you have to go flip back over the things. So they're not cultists. But I mean, in all reality, I mean, the cultists are like these little tokens. Like,.
0: There's it, not it, it, a
1: really sense that they're cultists because, yeah, no, the they're little tiny Ankh like, symbols, yeah, they're,
0: they're not cultists.
1: Weird. Cultists would be like, there's another game which I can't remember, but there's like these tiny little cultist figures that go all over the board. <laughs> like oh, you mean like Pandemic 12 Cthulhu? Oh, that's the, thank you, yes, thank you.
0: So, yeah, pen, again, Pandemic already did it. <laughs> I'm just saying,
1: like, uh, you say there's something new in this to give it more drive. Uh, I'm not convinced.
0: Okay. I do I do feel... I do think it feels different. You did mention the, the Forbidden Island that it's disappearing. What's different is you're expanding as you go along. So the shape is completely unknown at first. You can decide where it goes and... Sure. That might be it. <laughs> that might be it. But thematically, it really works for me way more than, say, Forbidden Island.
1: So you just like the thematics of it more.
0: That may be possible. That may be possible. Um... I haven't played Forbidden Island in years. I keep meaning to it, <laughs> <but> I haven't. <laughs> this game is more likely to come out. Do the...
1: you know why? Because you have it. Do you still have Forbidden Island?
0: Mm-hmm. I've got it. Oh, okay. Every once in a while, I'll find another copy and thrift it and give it away, but I still got mine. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, I'm not sure that it, that it is the same as Forbidden Island. I know what you're saying. It does have the water. You're drawing the tiles. the Uh the island the places are sinking Uh in this i find that the maybe it's just because i haven't played a while that the the stuff disappearing does feel more inevitable inevitable and that race to the end feels more cutthroat but maybe it's because forbidden island is more of a family weight game
1: i mean it also depends on what level of difficulty you're playing either forbidden island or this one i mean I've played on really difficult versions of Forbidden Island, and for sure by the end of it, you like I have to pick my my method around, and we're going to let this room and this room sink, and there's nothing we can do about it. Mm-hmm. You know? I there are more rooms in this one than in Forbidden Island. I will grant you the layout. The fact that it's not all just, you know, a giant square is different. Yep. But you know. I, I think I've said. I think I've said my point.
0: <laughs> okay, well there you go. So if you if you like the pandemic mechanics, but you don't like the theme of Forbidden Island, this is a nice variant. <laughs> <laughs> it's a quite a nice variant. I, I do like it a lot. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Let me look at my notes. And I wondered, so I wrote in my notes, it's reminiscent of Pandemic. And now that we've talked, I'm like, oh, I, I could see why. <laughs> it is Pandemic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Cause, yes. Cause Forbidden Island is just a, a Pandemic variant. By the same Forbidden design.
1: Island is also Pandemic, like, it's a simpler version of Pandemic. And that's what this is, a simpler version <laughs> of Pandemic. Very, very similar to Forbidden
0: Island. Yeah, yep, absolutely. So there is one big difference between this and Forbidden Island, this is hard to get. That's very true. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Forbidden Island, you could find it, or as I said, you could find it at the thrift stores. But it's definitely still in print. This game is un- out of print right now. I mean,
1: Forbidden Island, I also think looks a lot nicer. It's got those the, the beautiful plastic pieces. It's as old as this one, so it shows that you could have had those plastic pieces. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's not the thriftiness that you have from this one. This one maybe <laughs> feels a little bit thrifty in its designs. Yeah, that one doesn't.
0: Well, I bet you they publish a bunch more copies of that of a forbidden I am, than this one. I am yeah. confident, but I'm also <laughs> confident under
1: the reasons why.
0: Alrighty, so there we go. That is Fire of Aidon. I don't think I've convinced Julius to get it, though he had wanted to kick to back it on Kickstarter.
1: I was, I had wanted to back on Kickstarter. I chose to pass back then. I choose to pass now.
0: Interesting. I am very happy I got it. I've really enjoyed this game. I wish well, it was different, so I could tell people, "Hey, go get this."
1: Well, good. I Last. think it, could, it is good for us to have some conflicting views. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, we both like Forbidden Island. <laughs> i like true. my more fantasy you like yours more island i like my
1: more world designed
0: <laughs> all right i think that is a wrap folks thank you
1: yeah. have a good night everybody <laughs> bye-bye bye thanks for listening we love feedbacks so we love hearing from you